I went to a marvelous party. Most people don't even know the fact the underlying ideas don't have enough depth to last for an entire season. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to the live cast of The Dinner Party Show for November 18th, 2012. This week, we will not be talking about Lindsay Lohan's illegitimate half-sister or her crazy father or her car wreck or her probation or her cat burglary career or anything else about Lindsay or the Lohans except maybe one thing later, but that's it. We will also not be talking about the fact that Real Housewives creator Andy Cohen got in hot water on Twitter this week for referring to a member of the boy band One Direction as a to-wink. Not because we don't like One Direction or Andy Cohen. We're not talking about it because after hours and hours of circular, uninteresting bickering among ourselves about whether or not the term twink is a gay slur, the only thing we could agree on is that there's a small part in both of us that wishes we could have been a twink for just a little bit longer. Just a little bit. We also will not be talking about Chris and Bruce Jenner's divorce rumors since they fall under the Kardashian rule. They're not technically Kardashians, they're Jenners, but they're on that show and we are not interested in keeping up with them or anyone named Kardashian as we continue to do our part to bring an end to whatever it is they are. And just to be sure that we don't leave anything out that we're determined to leave out, we will not be keeping up with crazy models, survivors, amateur dancers who are professional has-beens or aspirational wannabes, talent show finalists or rejects, Justin or Selena, Brittany or Simon, Nikki or Mariah, or absolutely anything to do with Kristen, Rob, or Taylor except Team Edward. Team Jacob! But that's it. Unless our guest pop culture blogger Trent Benegas has really good dirt, and then all bets are off tonight on The Dinner Party Show. And now, to add a little kick to the kickoff of tonight's culinary cacophony, we're going to put a little cayenne pepper on our provocation. Take it away, God. And now, here to deliver the provocation for tonight's Dinner Party Show is prominent political consultant and liberal pundit James Carville. Oh, okay, I don't know what kind of ditty y'all have it here, but I'll be asking God to bless it as long as y'all have some good food that hails from the great multicultural tapestry. This is the great state of Louisiana. But if y'all are having some crawfish, any of them kind of fish that are back to normal after the rest of the country sat on a big flat behind during the deep water horizon oil spill, I'll be asking God to pick up a football bat, hit y'all upside the head with it, say to bless it, this dinner of yours now. Now, I don't know what a football bat is, but I'll be finding out as soon as I, I play some baseball with your Republican sister's face. And it's the economy, stupid, if y'all been listening. I don't know how to tell y'all any clear. All right, all right, God, please bless the dinner of these four folks and send them some collard greens and common sense. All right, now, I'll talk to y'all later now. Bye. Amen. Les Le Bon Ton Roulet. 
You know, I didn't know that James Carville was in the business of doing religious and spiritual blessings on dinner parties. Did you find that to be either religious or spiritual? I found it to be a little caffeinated. I think maybe we should suggest he tries decaf before so, his next So appearance. you think caffeine is the issue here? I think that chicory in that <laughs> coffee down there, yeah. If you're smoking it. You know, you're beginning on a very uh, light note. And as we discussed in our pre-dinner preparations, I need to begin the dinner party show tonight with a formal apology to my best friend and my co-host, Eric Shaw Quinn. At least one. One of the greatest sins you can commit in this day and age of social media is to steal a tweet. And on Tuesday, <laughs> on Tuesday, just hold the laughter, Eric. On right, Tuesday, sorry. we were seated at lunch. Serious. We were basking in the glory of our, our debut show last night, which went off without a hitch. Thank you very thanks much. Thanks largely to our lovely fans on Facebook who chimed in on the Facebook page and left questions and comments and, and non-threatening fan mail. Um <laughs> And we were sitting at lunch, and I believe Eric made the comment, it's too bad that on election day we couldn't vote out the Kardashians. And without any forethought whatsoever, I took my iPhone out of my pocket, and I opened my little Twitter app, and I entered those very words as my own on Twitter. And I received multiple retweets, all on false pretenses. And so I'm here tonight to say, excuse me. That that tweet was actually authored by Eric Shaw Quinn, who has his own Twitter account, which he has used maybe three times over the past four years, I might add. <laughs> you can follow uh, the show on Twitter. The handle is at Dinner Party Show. You can follow me and my pirated tweets at Chris Rice Writer. So you and can kind of follow me there, too. You can catch Eric's semi-annual <laughs> tweets at, at Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, I'm actually debating about whether or not to get a smartphone so that I can be more a part of the Twitter generation. I think you need a fabulous phone instead. A fabulous phone? <laughs> yes, it's a new thing. Something that's covered with diamonds and rhinestones. It's and... always late because it's been doing its case. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that sounds like my kind of phone. All right, so I think that it's important that we point out that Facebook is where we take questions for our guests, who this week are best-selling, New York Times best-selling author Greg Hurwitz and media... Mogul, super blogger, super blogger, and uh, inveterate gossiper, and creator of the blog Pink is the New Blog, a name which makes my mother crack up every time Love I say it name. to her because it's I think so that's adorable. Brilliant, yeah. Trent Banegas is how you properly pronounce it. So, name. if you have questions for either of them, now's the time to post them on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page because that's where we'll be looking for questions. Or Christopher will. I still can't figure out how to see them there, but. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the Twitter thing will have to wait. It's like I'm doing a social media show with Maud Finley. <laughs> Did I jump the shark on that joke, Eric? God will get you for that, Christopher. <laughs> God will get you for that. Um, so, yeah, so I think we've covered all the housekeeping news. We do want to thank all the people who have showed up for us this week. We have, in all seriousness, received such lovely messages from everybody on Facebook. And uh, we hope that you will join us each week as we do a live broadcast. And hopefully we will survive the hour or two leading up to our live broadcast without murdering each other. Um, because it's an exciting thing doing a live it really, dinner party. It's, it's like a roller coaster for thinking people. It's like watching your head go up and down and up and down and around these wild curves because you never know what's like. I, I think that's really the fun part of mm -hmm. and 
as long as we're on the topic of live, uh oh. May I just say, did you see Saturday Night Live last evening? I, I saw part of it. I did not see the you entire know, I show. I really think that 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 Jeremy Renner is a fine actor, and I think he's not very funny. And I thought he was terrified on that show last night. I, I have to say, doing a live show is absolutely terrifying. Right? That's what made yeah. me think of it. Like, yeah. there was a moment at the start where he was going to sing and accompanying himself on the piano, and I don't know how it happened. Somebody had turned the piano off. I'm not sure. I didn't know you could turn a but piano. It, but it wouldn't play. It wouldn't make any noises. And you could see this moment of, like, his head, like, vibrating. That's how it is here. It is. For except two hours. There's except- no piano because we burned it last week during our pre-show hysteria. And we hope there are millions of people tuned in that maybe not quite as many. Absolutely. As not and, yet. And some of our special correspondents are back this week. And uh, some, you will be actually be meeting new special correspondents this week. But as we said previously, we always want to start off the show with a news report from our faithful, full-throated journalist, Breck Artery. Tonight on TDPS News, a live report from Dinner Party Show special reporter Breck Artery on the anti-anti-tax revolt sweeping the nation, or at least a small group of people who got a blog and managed to get our attention. Breck? Good evening, this is Breck Artery. We're live from the Simi Valley, California Forest Lawn Cemetery, where later tonight or this week or at an unspecified time in the near future, it isn't exactly clear, this small but determined group of anti-anti-tax revolutionaries plan to dig up and burn the bones of that idiot, Howard Jarvis, whose ill-informed, selfish, and short-sighted tax revolution crusade in the 70s has bankrupted the state and the country. The group, who call themselves revolutionaries want to raise awareness and get a bit of belated revenge on the man who they say decimated American culture and education and forced all of us to live at the mercy of a bunch of superstitious and ill-informed cretins who wouldn't know a responsible economic policy from a biscuit recipe. We believe it's the right of every American to pay his fair share or get out. Don't you feel this kind of stunt is counterproductive to advancing the dialogue in this country? We absolutely do, Breck. That's why we've sponsored a lecture series featuring top pro-revenue economists, held rallies calling for a moratorium on the gratuitous use of anti-tax sentiment in political campaigning, and published extensively on how revenue-positive government models actually raise income levels across all tax brackets, increase business profitability, and lower interest rates. That sounds like a much more positive and proactive approach. When does this begin? Well, Breck, we already did all that stuff, and you folks in the media didn't pay any attention. In fact, unless a hundred morons from Bugspit, Florida are burning someone's holy books or a deranged bigot housewife character from a Saturday Night Live skit gets herself elected to public office and backwash Alaska and starts shooting off her mouth, repeating the kinds of lies that would be legally actionable in other areas of society, lazy, unskilled reporters like yourself won't even point a camera at it, let alone mention that there are two sides. Hold on now, those are pretty serious charges. And yet, here you are, in a cemetery, on a Sunday night where we're threatening to burn the bones of a dead guy. (laughs) It's a pretty sexy story. Who could resist? Well, not you, apparently. Excellent point. In fact, there are enough reporters here to cover the outbreak of World War III. Exactly. That's why we're using the opportunity tonight to announce our new Twitter dictation program. 
Tell us about it. Well, Breck, people who follow us on Twitter at Dictation will get pictures of the genitals of elected officials with each new fact about how we could easily get out of debt if we'd all just pay our fucking taxes. That does sound interesting. We thought you and the media would feel that way, Breck. That's why we promise, beginning tonight, there will be a junk shot with every new press release and major revolutionary announcement and exposed breasts at every major event. Oh my God, this stuff is golden. We're even changing our name to the Revanunatics. Okay, so we're live from the first annual Revanunatics Howard Jarvis Bone Burning and Bone Posting. Oh, we call it the boning. Now back to the dinner party. I smell Pulitzer. Oh, I, I think that's probably just the cheap coffin upholstery. His family didn't waste any money on him. This is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. You're to... listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric <laughs> Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show will be the judge of that. Yeah, this is radio. I know. I just jumped my own promo. If you're out there in the audience and you heard our first technical failure of the night, you win a million cats. Right? Which will be delivered one cat a year for a million years. <laughs> we have hotkeys this week. Yay. We have crazy sound effects programmed on our computer. Listen, you are right? listening to the hors d'oeuvre portion of our live cast, which is when we cover current events. And Eric, I understand you have a story that you've brought to us hot off the press. I actually the posted <laughs> the video, the original video that Rachel found. Yes, thanks to Rachel. Shout out to Rachel. Love her for bringing this to my attention. But I posted the original video from the Atlanta CBS affiliate. Um, and it just put me in mind of thinking that the, the, the video is about how uh, the, the head of the Republican Senate uh, majority leader there. Um, I think they call it the Senate president. Anyway, he convened a four-hour conference mm -hmm. um, on how the Obama administration was using mind control to try and force people to, you know, capitulate to the will of the U.N., Yes. Or something along those lines. The Delphi technique, I believe it's called. It was developed by the Rand Corporation during the Cold War as a mind control technique, and it allows it, it involves allowing people to believe there are other options when there aren't. So a more popular term for it is parenting. <laughs> so the Obama administration has been parenting the country into mm -hmm. giving it over to the UN. Anyway, the, the, it, which is a funny story on its own, but but the thing that really caught my eye about it was that He's out. Like, we have been through a really extended period in this country of the crazy people seem to be in charge. Like, the inmates have seemed to have been running the asylum. But there have been a number of interested, inter incidents this week. Um, Mitt Romney doubled down on his 47% thing. with The, the gifts thing. I right? haven't gotten mine yet. I, I'm gay. I think I should have gotten one, right? I, apparently. Apparently yeah. it's coming or whatever. <laughs> uh, apparently we're also not counting a... $5 trillion tax holiday from the Bush administration as a gift, um, mm -hmm. but whatever. Um, the the point being that, that people rejected him for it. People didn't just buy in. People didn't drink the Kool-Aid. I, I saw a couple of years ago, a, 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 it was a primary debate for the Republican Party where men who had actually graduated from Harvard were asked to hold up their hands and agree with that there was no such thing as evolution. Mm -hmm. We have bought into this crazy for a long time. And the, the guy in Georgia was asked to, you know, leave the, the, the 
Governor Romney was roundly denounced for his uh, views. Mm -hmm. the, the head of the, the Republican Party in Maine, after saying that dozens of black people had been seen voting. Dozens and dozens, and nobody knew who they were, right. he said. Yeah, yeah. voters possibly butthead. Anyway, he's also out. I, I just think even John McCain's um, attack on uh, the... the uh, Ambassador Rice mm -hmm. in the UN over the Benghazi incident, he's getting. Um, I think John McCain's little temper tantrums were fascinating when he was a true maverick, but once he compromised just about everything he believed in to run for president, now he just, just looks about. like an angry old man. I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, but you know you have to have some. You have to have a real earned reputation for individuality to have those explosions at every reporter who asks you a tough question. <laughs> but if the tough question is why were you denouncing people for not giving you information at a time? When, in fact, your uh, committee was holding a hearing to get you information, I, I don't really think that's justified. I think that's a tough question because the answer makes him look very bad. Right, because <laughs> I was grandstanding is the correct answer. Absolutely. But, so go to your own hearing and, you know, move on. Anyway, the Petraeus hearings are also a whole new— I, And that's the story that I wanted to talk about this week. I, I hate America's love affair with sex scandals. I hate it when prominent individuals are dismissed— or sort of driven out of jobs for which they're entirely capable of because of a sex scandal. Now, the issue here with Petraeus is that he was the head of the Central Intelligence Agency and he was carrying on an affair that was very easily discovered through his email account. But what I wanted to talk about tonight are the privacy issues related to the Petraeus scandal because basically what I think maybe a lot of people know, but just as many people don't know, is that law enforcement agencies in this country have the right to look through all of your web-based email. Okay, The Electronic Communications Privacy Act was written in 1986, and at the time, email was in its infancy, and it was, it was stored on third-party devices very briefly in transit between you and the recipient. Okay, Now, with the, with the explosion of web-based email, Gmail, Yahoo, you, I mean, you name it, your email, all of your email is sitting on a third-party server for longer than 180 days, which is the time limit for the, for the privacy laws that we do currently have with electronic communications. So with absolutely no warrant, okay, with a subpoena, a subpoena is one page of paper that the FBI has to show to the operator of the server. Uh, they can then look through all of your web-based email that meets that timeline. That's a lot of freaking email. Well, I can only hope that somebody has been tasked with reading through all of those notices from Bloomingdale's that are just sitting there in my <laughs> email account because I've been so busy getting the show together. Bloomingdale's, CVS, Lamps Plus. I, I just haven't gotten to them. Teleflora. I have about six million invitations <laughs> to LinkedIn that I have not accepted or RSVP'd to. And honestly, I think you've hit on it, Eric. I think what's holding back Back, the enforcement of very stringent privacy laws in this country are how utterly boring most people with email are. But for some of us, you know, what, okay, what Petraeus did is they were exchanging emails through the drafts feature of a Gmail account, which was totally they also web-based. They were actually web -based. using a technique that terrorists use <laughs> to, to communicate with each other and, as, as Seth Meyers pointed out last night on Saturday Night Live, a technique through which uh, terrorists have been getting caught. <laughs> I just, I want to be outraged about this whole thing in some way. I think the privacy issues are legitimate and we should all be aware of what the law actually says. But come on, dude. Like, that's really my reaction to Petraeus himself. It's like, come 
on. The head of the CIA can't (laughs) fool anybody. Like, what chance do I have? Well, I think that's why we saw an almost immediate resignation out of him once the story was made public. But if I'm not mistaken, it was his resignation which made the story public, right? I I think so. That's the first I heard of it. It's certainly apparently the first the president heard of it. I love that they were telling everybody in town except the people in charge. You're right. And, And here's what I know that we don't know. We do not know the reasoning the FBI used when they went to the service providers involved, which we know is Gmail, but Google representatives will still not comment that they were part of this investigation. But I think the word is out that they were using a Gmail account. And we don't know what reasoning or what suspicion of criminal activity the FBI presented to them along with their subpoena to get access to these emails. But And I'll stop talking about this on this final note. All all the... um, I did a lot of research on this story. Apparently. Um, All of the um, furor over the FBI agent who was leading this investigation apparently sending a shirtless picture of himself to to uh, one of the women involved. He had a friendship with her, and the shirtless photo that he sent to her and many other people on his email list was of him posing with firing range dummies that look almost exactly like him. It was a joke photo, and if you look at it for longer than 30 seconds, you can see there's nothing sexual about it. And he does look exactly like the bald, bullet-riddled crash, not crash test dummies, excuse me, firing range dummies, Okay. That's my favorite part of this whole story. And I think the other unanswered part, and then we have to go to commercial, is um, what's going on with those sisters from Tampa, huh? Like, why is everybody... What do they have? What's going on with them? They're going to have their own reality show is oh what they're going to have. Oh, my God. They're irresistible. Okay, that's it. I'm okay, that's signing it. off. We're, we're not, that's, that's how we end our current event section on a gossipy note. Have and an now, order. I think we have a new sponsor this week. Oh, excellent. Yes, Welcome absolutely. aboard. Welcome, new sponsor. Are the stresses of everyday living too much for you? Have you lost the zest and excitement for life that you once had? Do you find it hard to get out of bed in the morning, get through even the simplest tasks? Well, get in line. That's right, we're talking to you. We're sick and tired of your constant whining about every tiny thing. Frankly, we're a little amazed that you have come to believe that your life could or even should be devoid of any bad days, worry, or even a little good old-fashioned dread. If you're sick, you should be cared for. If voices are telling you that your mother has an alien living in her head and you should pour vinegar in her ear until you drown it, well, God bless and take your Thorazine. But if you just don't feel like you did when you were horny stoned and 15 years old without a care in the world, well, we think you should grow the fuck up. Who knows? Maybe there'd already be a cure for the cold and cancer if the drug companies weren't spending all their time and effort trying to insulate you from reality. So the next time you feel the urge to tell your friends, family, or anyone who'll listen about how you're not in touch with your joy, stick your hand down the front of your pants and leave the rest of us out of it. here with the real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Mm-hmm. Mercury is still retrograde till the 26th, so your Black Friday bargains may all wind up at the return desk. Thanks, Leo. 
on the bright side, with Venus in Libra, the goddess of love tweaks the note of destiny and love rules the stars. All the zodiacs should look to their most compatible constellations for signs of romance or maybe just a little bit of heaven. A hot trine will be had by all, except for you, Scorpio, because of that bitchy way you acted towards Pisces in the last ascension of Uranus. You could have been all nice, and thank you for being so helpful, and that was so thoughtful of you to remember how much I liked that Pisces. But no, you had to be all... I didn't ask for your help, and what are you getting so upset about? Well, now we'll see who's sorry when a sting is all you have in your tail, this star transit strike. The rest of you should find yourself falling into harmony, or at least into bed, as long as you avoid Scorpio, till that insect can manage to say thank you. And would it kill you to pick up a box of Godiva's or maybe some flowers at the Piggly Wiggly the next time you're there, Scorpio? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So this week, love will rule the heavens for most of us. Till next time, this is Twan reminding you to watch out for the stars. and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Soup, brought to you by your perpetually victimized gay brother. I will have you know that I am writing a play about all of you. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. And now, since it's called The Dinner Party Show, it's time for the most unavoidable part. Chris and Eric in the kitchen. Hi, welcome to The Dinner Party Show Kitchen. So that's what this room is. Every successful dinner party has three key ingredients. First, great guests. That's you at home. Yes, thanks for tuning in. Second, great setting here at the Lavish Dinner Party Studios on the world-famous mm-hmm. Sunset Strip in West Hollywood, California. Yeah, you can almost see the strip club from here. And third, great food. Now, I don't know what you're having at home, but we want to help you make it a special occasion by sharing some of our own secret recipes. Like what? Well, this week, Eric Shaw. Quinn is going to tell us how to make one of my favorites, Beef Wellington. Uh, Yeah, about that. Okay, Eric, we are ready. What sort of ingredients should we pick up at the grocery store? Well, you'll need some beef and a large Wellington. 
A what? Well, you might not need a large one. I mean, it depends on how many guests you're having. A large Wellington? Well, depending on the size of your dinner party. And Eric, the of do you have any idea how to make beef Wellington? I'm not sure how to turn the stove on. But you were supposed to present the first recipe. Because you don't know how to make ice cubes. Look, I had other things to do. Well, I've been busy too. How long did it take you to not prepare for this segment? It was surprisingly more time-consuming than you might think. So you're telling me you've done nothing to prepare for today's cooking segment? Well, really, who's going to know? I mean, it's the radio, for God's sake. I'm sure no one suspects a thing. Well, now, but if you just played along... A large Wellington, really? Depending on how many guests Stop you're having. Stop that. Well, how else would you determine... Stop exactly? it! Okay, so maybe Beef Wellington is just too ambitious. Maybe we should start smaller, something manageable, something we actually know how to make. Like what? Reservations? Exactly. So on our first cooking segment, we're going to tell people how to make reservations. Using a large, ungreased phone. Oh, my God. Dial in the number of your favorite restaurant at least two to three hours or days before your guests arrive, depending on how popular your favorite restaurant is. Eric. Speak in a clear voice and tell them the time and date of your party. Be sure to make certain of the number of guests that is not a recipe. You'd have starved to death without it. Still. Okay, clearly what we need for a cooking segment is a cook. You can cook. Eight things. That's cooking. Two of the things are eggs and toast. Still cooking. Well, you know how to make French toast. I do. And chicken. It was like you discovered penicillin when you learned how to bake chicken. I make very good chicken. So why don't you tell everyone at home tonight how to make chicken and French toast? It's not the same thing. Why not? It's... Like telling people how to make ice cubes, which I do know how to make, by the way. People mm -hmm. want to know how to make something special, something they don't already know. Using a large, ungreased phone. Not reservation. It's a really special restaurant. Not the same. Okay, so here's an idea. What if we ask people who actually know how to cook? Do we know anyone who knows how to cook? Well, not people we know. The segment is called Chris and Eric in the Kitchen. Maybe it should be called Chris and Eric Argue in the Kitchen. Something else we know how to make. What? An argument. I've got it. We'll call the segment Someone's in the Kitchen with Chris and Eric. Didn't Dinah Shore already do that one? Okay. How about Who's in the Kitchen? Or Did You Hear a Noise? Or First, You Get a Large Wellington. Okay, so that's where we came in. Or What are Chris and Eric doing in the kitchen? All right, so join us next time or not for Insert Name of the Dinner Party Show cooking segment here. You bring the dinner, we'll bring the party. And a Large Wellington. This has been an as-yet untitled cooking feature of The Dinner Party Show. For tonight's recipe, check out thedinnerpartyshow.com for links to people who actually know how to cook, should we ever meet any of them. I know how to make cookies. Great, but still not dinner. Ugh. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show, where we ask the question, is soup really that amazing? Okay, Christopher, you can talk Okay, now. I didn't jump that promo. <laughs> Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Before we get to our guest in the soup tonight, I just want to read a comment from one of our loyal Facebook faithful. Dan Koning has applauded us because in 16 minutes we have played more music than MTV in the past five years. <laughs> Suck at MTV. And better music at that. He goes on to say, thank you, Dan Koning. I Thanks. hope I'm pronouncing your last name right. And our guest in the soup tonight is Greg Hurwitz. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you. Why don't I... Greg Hurwitz! I want a cat button. I thought I was getting the cat button. Give me the cat. 
I hate it when the Tommy Dorsey band abuses cats. Right? So first of all, I'm very displeased with both of you, and it's something that I want to address. You what are already now? leading this interview. Okay, let's go. Well, I was not told about the no Kardashian rule in my advanced <gasps> press packet. I came with pages and pages of Kardashian material, all of which is now not able to be used. That's because your most recent novel, The Survivor, is actually a futuristic dystopian tale in which Khloe Kardashian is the only surviving Kardashian in a world full of zombies and Mary-Kate and Ashley will Well, you asked for that. In a world full of zombies, in a time where one man stands alone. <laughs> one woman, Khloe, and one man, Lamar. All right, I'm throwing all this out. You hear? Okay, throw it all out. Done. All. I have to say the Kardashian rule in one's personal life is a strange one because... As with republicanism, you're always surprised to find out who believes in them. You know, like I, I will on Twitter sometimes say something ugly about the Kardashian and shockingly liberal cat lover literary type will go, don't you mess with them. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Philip Roth gets irate. If I you know, yeah. totally. And right. he's retiring, I hear. I know. He's, it's very heartbreaking. Not before we have him on the show. <laughs> I hope so his not. reader is going to be very upset. <laughs> not before we make fun of him on the show. Oh, I, I don't see that we have to stop making fun of him. Well, okay. Greg, you have kindly agreed to be one of our first guests on the Dinner Party Show, and we, we stuck to guests that we had some deep personal relationship with because we didn't know if the studio would not be in flames by the time we did our second show or if the computer system would fail. So you've been very accommodating. I think we've gotten you a little drunk, which is helpful. And uh, you so know what I, I call that? What <laughs> Sunday night? Uh huh. <laughs> but you're here tonight to talk about how what amazing positive influences Eric and I have been on your career and in your life. And so why don't we start there? Well, I'm going to tell you a story about a little boy who moved to LA about 10 years ago, and he didn't have any friends, and he didn't know anyone in the world, and these two kind kind people, rickshaw. And, and Chris Rice found him on a street corner and befriended him, and my whole life ever since then has been different. <laughs> yeah, the corner of Sunset and Crescent in Beverly Hills, where you were living. No, I was that's not where Greg lives, by the way. Um, no, we met at the Men of Mystery Conference in Orange County in Irvine. Because they're both so mysterious. Right. We were being very mysterious, and we, we both owned... The other one, one or two books that the other had written, but we had not read them yet. And we met and we got along well, and we faked the fact that we hadn't read the book. It was like, oh yeah, I loved your book. <laughs> and then we promptly ran home and read each other's books. At which point we were relieved that we liked the books. It's very hard to be friends right? with somebody when you don't oh, like God, their writing. So I hate that. Oh, and I then it really, that. it's really how Nora Roberts and I just fell that out. Cover <laughs> art. Wow, just amazing. Yeah. I love that font. Yeah. But, you know, it kind of gets to that thing, not to get too serious for a minute, that the mystery writers in Southern California are a pretty collegial bunch. I had been in some other worlds of writers throughout the country, and particularly in the literary world, and I put literary in dismissive air quotes, where there's a sense of there being less shelf space for everybody's work. Um, things are a little bit more cutthroat and competitive. But when I got out to Southern California, everybody was sort of getting along. They were going to these festivals. People were very generous with me. Not you. You were kind of standoffish. I was horrible. <laughs> but, you know. I think it's because crime writers, I think it's because we're the most heavily sublimated. I think that's why we're What do we're you nice mean by around. that? I mean that if you spend all day writing and, 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 and dredging through the worst instincts of humanity and getting it on the page i think mm -hmm. that i think that you you tend to be fairly in touch with those aspects of yourself so you're not repressed and they don't overwhelm you and cause you to have horrible literary feuds over things like splitting an infinitive 
Right. I, I think it reminds me of Gore Vidal's statement about academia. God rest his soul. He was so great. Um, everybody fights to the death in academia because the stakes are so low. Yes, Gore and Oscar Wilde said pretty much everything that was worth yeah. saying, didn't they? If you take mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde, Mark Twain, and Winston Churchill, you just yeah. have every quotation it. you'll that's ever need really for the rest need, of your days. That's all you really need, the four days. of them, and you're good. And if you make them solve crimes, you've got a hit TV show on TNT. Exactly. And speaking of hit TV shows, we've got a promo for one coming up now. Absolutely. So Greg Hurwitz is in the soup with us, and he's going to stay there. But first, a word from a hot new TV show. Post your questions on Facebook. TV's got no shortage of tough, smart detectives willing to give their all to each and every case that comes across their desk. But never before have you encountered a detective this determined, this persistent, and this dedicated to himself. This fall, TDPS Networks brings you The Opportunist. There's no crime scene he can't work into an opportunity for himself. Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening to us! Who would want to shoot my husband in broad daylight? While he was mowing the lawn. <laughs> I know, he mowed the lawn every morning. Any reason why? He liked the lawn to look good. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, I, I mean like any reason he didn't use a company, or did he use one in the past? I, I can't remember. Ah, bummer. Because I've been using the same landscaping service for like three years now. And I think one of the guys has his eye on my wife. So I thought if maybe you guys had someone you worked with in the past, I could get their number. Why are we talking about this? Some detectives use their brains. Others use their fists. We don't know what the ones on NBC use because their shows get canceled too quickly. But until now, no detective in TV history has shown this level of dedication to his own mundane, everyday needs. This is huge. Now that we have the results of the DNA, they're an exact match with the building manager at the first victim's apartment building. We've found the Toluca Lake killer. Ooh. Toluca Lake, huh? Yeah, that's where Linus O'Grady, the killer, lives. Let's go get him. Yeah, that's like a 30-minute drive right now with traffic. And I told Connie I would pick her up from Brendan's school so we could get these new sheets she found over at the Pacific Design Center. So I might actually go now. That's what I'm saying. Let's go get him now. No. I'm actually going to go get Connie so we can go to the Pacific Design Center. You go to Toluca Lake and get this killer guy, and we'll just call it a day. How does that sound? I do not believe you, man. No one understands him. No one can stop him. And no one can get in between him and a good bargain on home furnishings. The Opportunist. This fall on TDPS Networks. Every crime scene is an opportunity for him. Okay, and we're back with in the suit with Greg Hurwitz, New York Times best-selling thriller writer, demolitions expert, Navy SEAL expert, everything expert. You are sort of the king of research in our little social circle, at least. I do a lot of research. I like doing research. Yeah. Well, uh, did you have to do special research for the new book? For uh, Tell us a little bit about Survivor. We've been kidding around so much, we haven't really gotten to your book. Well, I'll tell you... 
why don't I tell you how it opens? Because mm-hmm. it's it's got a it's got a somewhat of a hook opening. There's there's a guy called Nate Overbay. He's standing on the 11th story of his bank building, and he's looking out a beautiful view in Santa Monica. And we slowly realize that he's out on the ledge. He's crawled through the window because he's going to commit suicide. He's going to end his life. And right when he takes his foot and moves it out into the weightless open, hears gunshots inside. The window to his side gets painted with a swath of crimson. He looks inside, and there's a bank heist crew moving through, shooting innocent people. And rather than go off the ledge, he turns around and climbs through the window and picks up a gun that one of the one of the heist crew members have left and faces off with no fear of death the heist crew that's trying to take over the bank. And that's the opening chapter. Wow. Guy yeah. with nothing to lose going wow. back in. Yeah. And then we learn, right, that he's got PTSD, that he served in Afghanistan, was it? And Iraq? I, I don't it name of... it. It's a, I call it the okay. sandbox. But right. Yeah. That's it's... kind of brilliant that you don't name it. Um so, and we have a lot of questions that are coming in for you through the Facebook page, and we want to tell our listeners that we will be answering those questions during the dessert portion of the evening, which will come later in our broadcast. But um, so, alas keep them for me, who's already eaten several cookies? Yes, exactly. Eric Shaw Quinn has baked his signature cookies for That's tonight's right. dinner party show. They're on the, the table. We also have a picture of those cookies on Twitter. You know, <laughs> um, Greg, social media and being a writer and self promotion, how is that working out for you? You were one of the first writers I knew who kept a blog. Kind of on I a semi-daily basis. Remember blogs? Remember yeah. when we all needed to have a blog? I still have I one still somewhere. Have one I've misplaced too. it. It's like beneath my couch cushions. Right. Um, you know, I the thing that I like a lot about about Twitter and Facebook is, especially with readers who are all over the. I can get an emailed question from a fan or reader in Germany or from anywhere in the Isn't world, and things like this happen where. You know, I'm on the show and I can I can tweet and put the word out and everyone can listen no matter where they are. And so for me, the, the biggest advantage of it is is that type of interaction with with my readers. And mm-hmm. I, I like that part of it, you know, and I'm not on Twitter 24 seven, but I do get on when I have a thought or an observation. And, and well, that's OK. On Christopher it. is on 24 seven, so he'll cover that's for a, you. That's well. a lie. I'm never on as the same person. I have different Twitter personalities, one of which is Eric Shaw Quinn. No, he just posts whatever I say on his account. I do. I stole one tweet. I apologize for that. That was a very clean apology, though, I have to say. Yes, thank you. I don't qualify my apologies. He usually just says Eric says and then whatever it is that I said on Twitter. So it saved me from actually having – so you could just call Christopher and tell him if you have clever things and he'll just put them in. Well, when I've been behind on your Twitter feed, Eric, I'll just call Chris and ask him to read me the last several meaningful quotes that you've done. I remember absolutely everything he says. Eric and I went to Italy together and I just tweeted the stuff he was saying about birds and old paintings (laughs) the whole time. But just so our listeners know, and I'm sorry to stray from Greg for just a second – Eric and I are not involved in a romantic relationship. We are best friends and business partners. If you are a tall British crime solver, you should be following Eric at at Eric Shaw Quinn. <laughs> and if you are a member of the men's gymnastics team who enjoys reading, you should be following me very closely. Um, you're a fan back of, to Greg. And if you're a fan well, of And Greg is married thrillers, to a lovely woman and has Greg. two kids. And if you're a fan of heart racing uh, thrillers that are impeccably well-researched and... Uh, almost impossible to put down like you have the distinction of being the thriller writer that almost every famous thriller writer i know loves like well, that's very nice well Thank it's you. true and it's earned but i mean the backs of For your books reason. i think a lot of readers can see through blurbs from friends like and you know i've had yeah. one or two where it's like does it all with words you know <laughs> but yours are like literally some of the best in the business saying this guy is unbelievably good and you should read him immediately david baldacci tess gerritsen robert crace all of them you know the the jury is in and the verdict is 
Greg Hurwitz is, I can't spin that joke out any further than that. The jury's in. But absolutely, I have the experience of getting taking one of your books. I was just mentioning it in the lobby. I took, I went away for a weekend to a wedding and. Um, in San Francisco, stayed at a great hotel, all kinds of fun things to do. And it was right after um, Trust No One came out. And I took the book with me, and I literally was locking myself in the hotel room, telling everybody, leave me alone. I don't want to go to a party. Stop with no sightseeing. San Francisco, beautiful view. The hell with that. I have to find out what happens next. Well, telling thank everyone, you, very much. you I was the only one there. You were talking to me like that. Thank you very much. That Thanks, is, Greg. I. <laughs> That's my aim, is to ruin everyone's social life. No, it's not, <laughs> I went to a wedding and had a shitty time. No, Absolutely. it's not. I had a great time, but it's the ability to bring somebody into that moment, just like that that moment that you described with Survivor. You know, How could you not want to know what happens next? He's on a ledge, he's going to kill himself, and a bank robbery breaks out, and he jumps through the window and picks up a gun with nothing to lose. How could you not go to the next page? And that's that, I think, is the, is the amazing mastery of Greg Hurwitz. It is, it is indeed, and we want to remind our listeners, or actually not remind them because we haven't told them yet, our website, www.thedinnerpartyshow, where all of you are actually streaming this show live, has a store page, and Greg's latest novel, The Survivor, is for sale on that page. So if you click through, which you should be able to do without disrupting your stream, you will be able to find his latest novel, The Survivor, for sale there. And now I think it's time for our relationship expert. She is back this we'll be week. Back in just, we'll be back after Jonell with Trent, who's Trent going to Benegas, join us. Trent Benegas, who is going to be here to do a roundup of the week's entertainment and pop culture and gossip headlines. But first, relationship expert Jonell Sams is back again this week with her expert advice. It's time once again for the Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle Sams. Hi, I'm Jonelle Sams. This week, we're answering our first relationship question from a Dinner Party Show listener. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, care of the Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page, or at jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. This week's listener writes to me from Atlanta, Georgia. Hmm, hmm. My husband of 22 years, Merle Sams, and his best friend in the whole world, Olson Lee Pugh, just love Atlanta. Too big and noisy for me, but those two just cannot get enough. They tell me they could practically camp out in Piedmont Park there if the police would let them. Anyhow, our Atlanta listener writes, Dear Jonell, my husband lost his job recently. Mm -mm, I am sorry to hear that. This bad economy has taken a toll on us all. Why, Merle's Barber Salon has had to lay off Manuel, the little Latin boy who used to sweep up and such like around the place. He's been staying at Olson Lee Pew's, doing odd jobs and such like for the both of them. Apparently, it's working out well for Manuel and Merle, and Olson couldn't be happier. Manuel was by here just the other day, dropping off some clothes of Merle's that I guess Merle paid him to launder, always finding work for that poor boy. So me and Manuel got to talking over a little sweet tea, and Manuel said that Merle and Olsen were about to wear him out, that both of them were working him hard, 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 sometimes both at the same time. Well, we can't all be as lucky as Manuel, and I'm sorry to hear about your husband too, Atlanta listener. Anyhow, she goes on. Since losing his job, my husband has lost interest in life. He does his best to keep at it and is out most every day looking for work. But the rejection and lack of opportunity have been taking their toll. 
when he's not looking for work, he's either in front of the TV or asleep on the sofa. We haven't so much as slept in the same bed in the months since he was laid off, and I blush to tell you there is no romance in our lives. I've tried my best to support him, but my spirits are beginning to slip too. Jonelle, what should I do? Signed, sleeping single in the double bed. Uh-huh. Well, your letter has really hit home with me, single. I can see what I think you might be missing. What you need are separate bedrooms. When we first got married, why, Merle hardly ever slept with me in the same bed. It worried me, and I fretted, and then one day it hit me. It wasn't that he wasn't sleeping with me that was worrying me. It was not knowing. Like that second shoe, I just kept waiting on him. Was he coming? Was he not? It was keeping me up. Well, single, what I did was I turned my sewing room into my room. That way, when Merle had been down to the rodeo or a baseball game and came home all in the mood, well, it was a nice surprise when he came a-knocking at my door. But when he didn't, I didn't miss him because I wasn't expecting him. And single, let me tell you, if you're looking for a little romance, just wait till his best friend is sick or out of town. I tell you, Merle gets like a newlywed when that Olsen isn't around wearing him out. So, if you're like sleeping single in Atlanta and you're spending your nights waiting for your man to get next to you, the problem may be your expectations. I've found that I'm a lot happier in my marriage if I don't expect anything at all. Till next time, I'm Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Jonelle Care of the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. And if you're in Atlanta, say hello to Merlin Olson for me if you see him. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Dish, brought to you by your mother, Mistress of Guilt. <sighs> That's okay. Go ahead and step on my foot. Why would I need to walk anywhere? I haven't been anyplace nice in years. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. And now here to add a dash of international flavor to tonight's Dinner Party Show... Please help me welcome Tanya Lee Musgrave, former CEO of Most Pleasant Journeys, formerly the top-rated travel agency in Allen, Texas, before travel agencies became a thing of the past. Good evening, Tanya Lee. So nice of you to join the dinner party show this evening. Oh, well, that's fine. Okay, now, I understand you and your husband spent about a week in one of Europe's most beloved cities, and you're here to share some exciting insider tips for people who might uh, have a desire uh, to... Sir, excuse me. Yes, Tanya? Uh, Mr. Donald Drummond is not my husband. I do not have a husband at this time. Now, Mr. Drummond is my neighbor, and we occasionally attend the movie show together. He's a widowed man, and his wife was a lovely woman with whom I used to mall walk. Now, last year, I hadn't seen him for a while, so I knocked on his door to make sure he hadn't died, oh. and that is why we travel together today. I see. Well, I'm glad we got that cleared up. Now, back to this amazing journey you and your companion just went on. Oh, well, I don't know about all that, but what we did is we went to Spain. 
All right. And did you travel all over the country, or did you just go to one city? Or uh, well, we just went to Madrid. It's plenty big enough. Now that's not the city where they have all the bowls. When we got there, we actually found out that the city with the bowls is another city. Pamplona, sir. I said, I believe Pamplona is the city where they hold the running of the bulls. Oh, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. Well, okay. Uh, Tell us about your trip, please. Well, what I can tell you, sir, is that it was a long flight. I mean, Mm. we were on that plane for quite a long time. (laughs) Yes. As I understand it, Madrid is a very long way away from Dallas. On another continent, in fact. Well, Well, I don't know if you've heard, but you have to get to the airport three hours early for an international flight yeah. so they have time to keep terrorists from getting on your plane. And I <laughs> yes. mean, thank God they have Starbucks in the airport now, because I remember the day when you'd be lucky to get a Sbarro and a cup of coffee. <laughs> Certainly a long journey indeed, but one that ultimately brought you oh, to... Oh, you know what else was nice is they had on the plane a little television screen in the back of the seat that you could watch movies on, and I do mean it when I say I must have watched at least four movies. Yeah. And, and you know, they were all about pretty young girls getting up to foolishness and worrying about stuff, and sometimes their friends were getting married or they weren't getting married or they were getting married to their friends. And, you know, I think that uh, pretty Goldie Hawn's daughter was in everyone. I do enjoy her. Now, I did like those movies very much. I sure did. And when the those movies were over. You found yourself in Madrid. Well, we found ourselves needing a nap is what we found because that flight was so long. I mean, oh, we got yes. to... Um, oh, Madrid. Right there. And we just went right to sleep. Did you ever wake up? Well, see, what would happen is they do this thing in the afternoons called a siesta. Now, that is not to be confused with a fiesta, which usually has, like, enchiladas and a piñata. At least. Now, a siesta they have in the afternoons for about three hours because they do so much drinking at lunch. And Mr. (laughs) Drummond, he doesn't drink alcohol after what happened with the wood chipper, and I don't really care for myself unless it's a blended-type drink. Anyway, so we would go out to see the stores and the malls and such, and everyone would be sleeping. So, uh... What would you do instead? Well, we'd just go right back to sleep, too. I see. And how long did this go on? Well, it would usually take us about 15 minutes to get back to our hotel, five minutes to say goodbye to each other, and then another 10 minutes to get in my sleeping (laughs) garments. Tanya Lee, I don't mean how long did it take you to get back in bed. I mean... Did you spend the whole trip in bed? Uh, Sir, now, Mr. Drummond and I, we had separate rooms, and I resent any implication that anything (sighs) untoward happened in the course of our visit. Tanya, what I meant was, did you spend the entire trip asleep? Well, sir, I have something I gotta say. And it might not be easy for everyone to hear, but as my daddy Musgrave used to say, nobody likes a chicken that clucks in September when there's no rain. What? I was very disappointed in Spain. Now, I know they are in separate countries, but a few years back, I took a seniors cruise that stopped in Mexico, and there was just a lot more to buy. Now, I was hoping Spain would be the same way, but I promised almost all of the ladies that I lunched with a sombrero and maybe one of them ponchos like she wore on Ugly Betty, and I couldn't find a trace of one during the few hours of the day when everyone in Spain was actually awake. Call me old-fashioned, but I really feel like the Spanish could learn a few things from the Mexicans. I'm not sure old-fashioned is what I'd go with there. Uh, Tanya Lee, I I don't mean to be rude, but I have to ask you, didn't you run a travel agency for many years? Yes, sir, I did. 
Did you ever go anywhere? Oh, no. That was the whole point. See, everyone else went everywhere, and I got to stay put. Heck, where our office was, there was a Luby's on one side and a Black Eyed Pea on the other. I never even had to go anywhere for lunch. Uh, I see. Uh, Tanya Lee, thank you uh, very much for joining us this evening, and please give our thanks to Mr. Drummond as well. We hope he got over whatever happened with that wood chipper. Oh, I'm not going to talk about that. Yes, well, it's always interesting seeing the world through your eyes and your pajamas. I'm not sure what you mean by that, I'm sir. I'm not surprised. Good night, Tanya Lee. Good night now. Travel safe, y'all. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Derek Sharquin, and you're in the dish. Right. And we have added a new dinner guest at the dinner table. Trent Benegas of Pink is the New Blog is Welcome. here with us tonight. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Big fans. We're glad to have you all. Do you want the cat? I'd go for the cat. There you go. <laughs> There's also Angry Mob Dishwasher. And, uh, and cat and cat and, and a dishwasher. Dishes. Let's not go um, too far behind the curtain, Eric Sharkwin. We want people to believe we're actually hurting animals in our studio because that will make our shows oh so very popular. Yeah, that's really big in California. Absolutely. Just to respond anywhere, to a guess, note on really. our Facebook page, one second. Henry Valdez, yes, my mother's book, The Wolf Gift, was for sale on our store page last week. We just forgot to mention it when we were and live it on the still air. Is. So we're not. It is still available for sale. So you should buy a copy every time you want to read the book obviously <laughs> or every time you come to our website absolutely just go to the store page click on that and click through to other things so trent you're joining us tonight to take us through the pop culture and gossip headlines of the week what do you what What's would you like to dirt? start with us obviously there's a big story that's on all of our minds and that has to do with people magazine well um it is that time of year when people selects their sexiest man alive the magical time of year and this year they decided to bestow that honor on mr channing tatum and not a minute too soon who <laughs> as if. who is channing tatum as no, I'm just if. kidding just kidding. Okay. And all right. So you gave this some extensive coverage on the blog. And I think the thing we all zeroed in on was <laughs> the quotes from his wife. And personally, I would just like just once for a celebrity wife to be like, you know, y'all, he's not all that. <laughs> like he smells, he's got weird stuff on his feet and he likes foot rubs. And he you know, leaves like, stuff on the floor. But let, let's go to what his wife said. People know him to be fun and sexy, but they don't know how emotionally deep and spiritually open he is. And we don't. I mean... Well, how would we know you, that? You, you've seen Step Up. How can you not? How can you not realize that? <laughs> and you have a little bit of opinion here, Trent. You said for years Channing has kind of existed under the Hollywood radar. He would show up in movies, parentheses, usually cheesy dance movies. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and right? people would know of him, but he was never really considered a leading man. So now he's a leading man. We think. Well, I think the Magic Mike phenomenon did a lot to raise his stature. I mean, I don't think he he's been on the list before mm -hmm. because. What People Magazine really does is they open their binder full of <laughs> hot men, full of men yes. <laughs> let's say, and they say, okay, these guys are hot, and they just pick the one, the buzzworthy one who's going to be for the cover. But he's been on the list before, but this is the first time he's made. Do the fans participate in their decision, or is there like some editorial hotness board? Or I believe I believe there there might be an online, I, they, they do some sort of thing, but yeah, it's... Clearly I should 
try reading the magazine. There's probably an explanation in there. Or maybe one of our uh, loyal listeners has read the magazine and knows what the explanation is. We clearly don't. Uh, what were some of the other comments? That oh, this is, see, I always love moments like this. And, and straight guy in the room, Greg Hurwitz, feel free to chime in whenever you want with, with how bored you are with all of this. Um, I always love it when I find women speaking of men like gay men speak of other men. And so I was scrolling through the comment section on your Shannon Tatum piece, and I got to two comments from Megan and Julie. And Eric and I would like to do a dramatic <laughs> reading of these comments right now for, for our audience. I'll be Megan and you be Julie. And I'll be dramatic. Okay. OMG. That ass. I just melted. I love it. Guys' asses are forgotten about a lot when trying to get sexy pictures, so I'm glad they got it right. I'm not the only one who likes guy booty, am I? Okay, okay, stop talking about his ass. Megan, you are not the only one. I am having trouble peeling my eyes away from Channing's bootyliciousness. He is working with an E, working those gray slacks. I just want to take a bite. The women's movement comes to fruition in the comment section of Pink is the New Or Black. an end, possibly. Um, Greg Hurwitz for the straight perspective. Well, my favorite part of this is her Alabama-bred heartthrob of a husband is also a sculptor who quotes Edgar Allan Poe. And for me, I realize that I have a desperate secret need to be quoted for who I'm quoting. Because I think it's a very it's a very quick way to for my stock to rise. If I, you know, Greg Hurwitz, who often quotes Kierkegaard. Right, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I stop this for a second? Who quotes Edgar Allan Poe? What is romantic about quoting? Nevermore. Like, here comes the pendulum. And by the way, watch out for the pit. Well, Annabelle Lee <laughs> is actually a pretty romantic poem. Is it? Oh, okay. Annabelle Lee is actually kind of the real stuff. Last uh, episode, we trashed H.P. Lovecraft. This week, Edgar Allan Poe I'm trying to just it. figure out, though. You're right. It's very poetic. But when do you quote? Like, it's not good pillow talk, necessarily. <laughs> you know? So. And you probably want to leave out the part about chilling and killing yeah. my Annabelle Lee. That's probably not the hottest part. Absolutely. But okay. it's a love. Our love was a love that would, I don't know. You, but Trent, let me ask you, as mm-hmm. the entertainment expert in the room, uh, what does this title usually contribute to sort of long-term leading man success for the actor who gets it? Probably nothing. Really? It's like the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. It's just you go nowhere. Kiss of yeah. death. Yeah. What, what really, what you get a lot of after they make the announcement is the people who are pissed off who didn't get selected. So this year, a lot of people thought for sure it was going to be Ryan Gosling. Mm. Ryan Gosling oh, has, had, has had a great year. Um, he became an internet meme. You know, he saved some woman on the street in New York, in New York from he was a speedy naked car. Naked in that movie with I mean, uh, Steve Carroll. Uh-huh. So immediately, there was you know Channing Tatum, and then what? What the hell? What the hell's going on? I mean, it's, wow. like, it's like Tumblers. There are now Tumblers Ugh. that are you know. It's the whole team mentality of pop yeah. culture fandom. Oh, team yeah. Ryan. Team Channing. Yeah. Has Ryan ever been the sexiest man alive? He is not. I but thought he's he pretty was last young. year. Who no? was last year? Um, Bradley Cooper, I think. Oh. oh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the Ryan <laughs> Greg is rolling around on the floor laughing <laughs> his ass off. Greg just put on Literally. his heterosexual protective goggles. <laughs> <laughs> The Ryan Gosling uh, leads us uh, mention leads us to the next bit, which is a rather salacious photograph you posted this week. And yes. would you like to explain to our very tasty? We actually it's on the website actually. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So Terrence Malick is working on his next masterpiece with 
every major actor in Hollywood. Will there be a storyline this time? I believe so. There's not a title yet, so we're hoping. We're hoping. (laughs) And uh, they're in Mexico filming, Mm -hmm. and there's a photograph of Michael Fassbender um, massaging... Ryan Gosling from behind on his shoulders and, and they're Ryan, fully clothed. It's a very respectable yes, photo. Yes, yes, they're they're on a it's veranda. On the Facebook page, you can check it out. They're on a lanai somewhere, and Ryan has his feet up and and there's six Michael's eunuchs waving ostrich feathers <laughs> right. to cool them off, and their grapes being fed into mouths. But in the you know in the gossip pop culture world, like this is porn basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really. Totally. This is. And if you're familiar with the filmmaking style of Terrence Malick, this will be one of four things that actually happens in the course of a three-hour film. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I know you're a fan of Terrence Malick. I'm actually a fan of some of his films. I did not see Tree of Life, but I was a fan of The New World. Yeah, New World, I really, and I didn't dislike I, tree, The Tree of Life, but I just... It was I, it was more like a presentation than a yes. movie. Like yes. I found it hypnotic. I gotta say, I love. So you went to sleep? No, I didn't go to sleep. <laughs> I just found it was it was so crazy and archetypal, and I was prepped for it. You have to be in preparation for a Terrence Malick movie. I agree. So I like went. I was in the right mode. Yeah, 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 you have to. Weed, you you know. can't go in cold. No, yeah, I would you know? think you want sober. something like yeah. with caffeine right, to stay absolutely. awake. It was just really. It was so nonlinear that it was very challenging as a film. And usually, I'm a. I'm very much a structure slut. For I like story. I like structure. I like plot. Totally. So usually, this would be my opposite. But I, I found it mesmerizing. Yeah. That's my two cents. But let's get back to the massage. Right, exactly. Are we sensing a a sort of tilt towards substance in this segment? Like, (gasps) we were talking about two very handsome male actors massaging each other, and now we've gone to the (laughs) filmmaking genius of Terrence Malick. Well, I'm not sure how deep we can go with that, Christopher. Absolutely. I'm not sure. Why don't we we step away, and when we come back, we'll talk about the Elmo sex scandal. Elmo sex scandal with Trent Venegas. But now, a word from one of our sponsors. It's a hot new TV show, I hear. He's a domestic terrorist. The Tree of Liberty must be watered with the blood of tyrants. She's a bitter civil servant living on her past glory. I can't process your request for blood or anything else until you've completed the proper paperwork. Together, they solve crimes against humanity. Your bureaucracy is destroying the freedoms this country was founded on. Your violent rhetoric has no place in a free and equal society or this waiting room. This fall on ABC, it's The Devil and the DMV. You just want to register my car so you can track me. Why the hell would I want to know where you are? Besides, we'll make more on fining you for an expired license than we can make on registration. So make my day. Coming this fall to ABC's Tough Talk Tuesdays, it's The Devil and the DMV. You're oppressing me. You're holding up my line. back with the dinner party show we are having a wonderful show during the commercial breaks and songs that none of you are getting to hear <laughs> but we're back with the 
The Dish. And that is our gossip and entertainment segment. Trent Banegas is with us in the studio. He runs Pink is the New Blog. And New York Times bestselling writer Greg Hurwitz has stayed on to offer the heterosexual perspective. <laughs> and meanwhile, we are getting heckled by my mother on Facebook. I'm just kidding. It's not really heckling. But she is listening to our show out in the desert where she lives. And she would like to express astonishment that Channing Tatum is a man. All this time, she thought he was a young woman. Sigh. Oh. Did she see Magic Mike? No, oh no, she didn't see Magic Mike. She's no, she's a high class lady. She wouldn't go. So see I'll, that I'll, and I'll bring the disc when I come out <laughs> for Christmas. We'll watch it together. It's really <laughs> Elmo sex scandal. Who how, can stay away from this story? How can you resist? It's like crack gossip, crack. So get us up to speed, Trent. What's going on here? Well, at this point, Elmo has been cleared. So we can... Elmo? Elmo? Yeah, the puppeteer <laughs> is still at large. But Elmo but himself... the puppet yeah. is completely exonerated. You walked right into that one, Chad. I'm sorry. Okay, so the puppet has been exonerated yes. because yes. he's a puppet. Correct. Okay, correct. And so is Kevin he, Clash, isn't that his name? Yes. So the voice of Elmo, um, you know, I mean, he's made a career, a very lucrative career at being Elmo, and right. no one else can mm-hmm. do Elmo, and he's the only guy who can do Elmo. Mm-hmm. And then this accuser came out saying that he had an inappropriate sexual relationship with this man. When he was 16. Well, huh? see, this is where it gets tricky. Really murky. Yeah. They, they had some sort of um, interaction when he was 16. You know, he's... he's Whatever. Hey, you can talk to people. Who yeah, are it looked like it was an email correspondence, right? But that didn't have it. See, oh God, but things that didn't. Again. I know. Back to email. Things didn't necess- Things didn't get um, sticky until <laughs> um, until uh, the young man was eighteen, I believe, and okay. then and, and then, then stickiness ensued. <laughs> Absolutely, it got, it's getting. I it's remember getting, getting kind of sticky. sticky. It was yeah. pretty sticky. I'd like to point out that the uh, New York Post story that you quoted on your blog or that you linked to on your blog mm-hmm. says that uh, Kevin Clash, I'm sorry, is the voice of Elmo. The accuser has been identified as Sheldon Stevens. Mm-hmm. His first communication regarding this alleged crime was not to law enforcement. It was to Kevin Clash's bosses at Sesame Street. All right. Well, that's a little mm-hmm. suspect. Uh huh. So did he did he put the bite on Sesame Street for the cash? Or? Well, I believe, if, if my personal opinion, he they both have admitted that they had a sexual relationship when he was of age. Right. And it seems to me that the accuser probably figured out he could probably get some money out of this and went to his bosses, to the Kevin Clash's bosses, to try and force his hand. Because Sesame Street is so flush. Yeah. What well, is, they're not getting fired well, now that Mitt Romney wasn't elected president, so right. that's good. So, so maybe he left. was optimistic, yeah. It, it, to me, it's it seems like some sort of, um, you know, pressured blackmail sort of thing. Yeah. Because in, in the end, um, there was a settlement, I believe $125,000. From wow. Sesame Street or from... No, 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 no. Sesame Street is not involved. This is Kevin Clash's personal... Fortune. Right. Right. <laughs> or it was his first From tickle money. <laughs> from his tickle jar. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. This story also dragged uh, Stevens' mother into the mud, the mother oh of the God. accuser. They, Felicia Stevens, 48, was busted in 2011 for allegedly stabbing her husband with scissors. 
um, and was immediately forgiven by anyone with a husband. Uh, Sheldon stood by his mother and told the Harrisburg Patriot News, my mom is the nicest person in the world, except apparently when she's doing arts and crafts. Do not get in between that woman and her macaroni picture frame. She will stab you. <laughs> she will cut yeah. you. So, yeah, so it seems like... Are we going to come, well, are we going to speculate that maybe there was not an interaction of an inappropriate nature in between these two people before he was of age? Is that is that what we're getting? He recanted his story. That was the headline yes. this week. Recants his story. That was part of the deal. That Elmo was part... happy. <laughs> that was... <laughs> Playing the part of Elmo tonight will be New York Times bestselling novelist Greg Hurwitz. Who's actually heard Elmo because he has two small children. Absolutely. We're in the dark about this little red furry creature. I'm sorry, Trent, I stepped on your line. What were you saying? No, no, no. The, the, the... The retraction was part of the deal. Mm. So, in, in you know, he got paid, and he had to give a retraction, which he did. And then his lawyers immediately dumped him, and so that's where that's at The right Stevens now. lawyers right. dumped him, yeah. the accuser. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Let me put you on the spot just for a minute here. How often do you report these stories and think, okay, I can't really inject my own opinion into this. I'm just going to report what my source is giving me, and I'm just going to stay out of it. Never. Never. You always. Always. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's what gossip is. Yeah. Right. And and I never purport to know. I mean, if I don't know, I don't know. Right. But I have an opinion. And, you know, and I've been doing this for a long enough time that when something seems fishy, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and again, I always make it very clear that I'm giving my opinions. Right. And when people make comments and we comment back and forth, it's people's personal opinions. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I think a lot of what. Um, people like about what I do mm-hmm. is that it's, it's coming from me. Um, I'm They've just, come to trust I, I'm, you. I'm a fan just like everyone else is. Mm-hmm. When people get together to talk about these sorts of things, everyone has opinions and you know, it's Absolutely. that sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you for uh, joining the dinner party show tonight. Thank you. And we hope you'll come, we'll come back. And we hope everyone listening will visit Pink is the New Blog and follow Trent on Twitter at, at Trent B A N E G A S. Excellent. Thank you. Greg Hurwitz is staying with us for the rest of the dinner party, and we'll go to some Facebook questions for him later. But now I think we're, we have a new special correspondent who is here for the first time. With to a meet totally our unique perspective that I think that our followers will really enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Woodstock was 42 years ago, and a lot has changed since then. The U.S. was tied up in a pointless war for reasons that no one quite understood. Unemployment was high, the economy was slow, and the price of gasoline was on the rise. Come to think of it, maybe just the music was different. Anyway, here to offer us some perspective on where we've been and where we came from, and maybe some insight on where we're headed, former guru of the summer of love... Thunderhead Horizon. Okay. First off, I was not at Woodstock. Plenty of people were. They're not as many as you'd think. It's it's estimated that everyone was at Woodstock who said they were at Woodstock. There would have been well over a million people there. As it was, estimates, <laughs> and let's bear in mind who is making these estimates, run to a peak of around 400,000. And that's in the middle of the night on the Saturday. The crowd began to decline as soon as it started to get light, and folks could see what a shithole this place was. Anyway, you have to bear in mind that while it was a different time, we were still the same species. The main reason that we went to the concerts then and now was to get high and get laid. 
<laughs> Just wait. In 40 years, people who weren't there will be talking about how the revolution started at the Lady Goo Goo concert or some crap. People always remember themselves as being the heroes of their own life. Like our parents. They have taken to calling themselves the greatest generation because look how great everything has turned out, right? And those of us from the Summer of Love are the same asshole generation who brought you the Tea Party, the Christian Rite, and Sarah fucking Palin. The answer, my friend, is blowing out your ass. Despite all the principles we were supposed to have espoused, look at the record of the generation of peace and love. Since 1969, there has been U.S. military action in order of invasion in <clears throat> Cambodia, Oman, Laos, Chile, Cambodia, Angolia, Iran... Libya, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Lebanon, Grenada, Honduras, Iran, Libya, Bolivia, Iran, <gasps> Libya, the Virgin Islands, for Christ's sake, the Philippines, Panama, Liberia, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Kuwait, Iraq, Somalia, Yugoslavia, Bosnia, Haiti, <gasps> Zaire, Liberia, Albania, Sudan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Yugoslavia, Yemen, Macedonia, Afghanistan, Yemen, the Philippines, Colombia, Iraq yet again, Libya, Haiti, Pakistan, Somalia, Syria, Yemen, and Libya. Whew. And that's not including U.S. intervention in South Dakota and Los Angeles. We've cut education, denied health care to the poor and the mentally ill, abandoned veterans to live on the fucking street, cut Social Security and Medicaid benefits, refused to pay our taxes, and elected Ronald Reagan and both of the Bush boys. All we are saying, apparently, is give peace a chance and then blow the shit out of it, sell it, or refuse to pay for it. Or maybe all three. So... The next time you feel like celebrating the anniversary of Woodstock or pine for the good old days of the 60s or 70s, just remember who it was who caused all the problems you're longing to escape from today. Such is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. You're welcome. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for dessert. Brought to you by your sister's new husband who's had way too much wine. I mean, everybody's cheated at least once, right? I, I, I mean, am I right? The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. And we're back. We are back with Greg Hurwitz, who is staying over for dessert with the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and, and Derek Shaw. Big Quinn. thanks to Trent for coming by. Big thanks for Trent for bringing all those pop culture headlines. Pardon me, I've had a little too much tea. I'm slurring my words. He was Gossbender. He was pointing out to us that we missed the chance to use the term Gossbender to talk about that. We've had a lot of people join us on Facebook tonight. Bryce Lee Wynn, Buffy Peterson, Dan Koenig, Samiko Salson, hope I pronounced your name correctly again this week, and Justin Simpson. And they've been posting questions for you, Greg Hurwitz. And we're going to start with my mother. Excellent. Another writer some may have heard of. Greg, when you decide to write a novel from the first-person point of view, how do you arrive at that decision? A lot of it has to do with what the story... I mean, for me... A decision like that always comes out of the story. And so the first first-person book I wrote was my eighth novel, The Crime Writer. And it's a guy who wakes up with amnesia in the middle of a horrible circumstance, and he doesn't know what happened to him. And so he's his own unreliable narrator. And basically, it had to be in the first person because we needed to be in there and be as lost as he was in mulling through the story. Brilliant. And so for me, a lot of it is 
it really just comes down to what sides I want to show. Sometimes if it's a more wide open thriller and I want to move around and 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 I stay in the third person and it's so that I can roam a little bit more. And the first person's really intimate and it's much more constraining. So it's got to be a, a more streamlined thriller right. for me that the mystery you can only see out of one camera lens. And so a lot of times those will be the novels of mine that deal more with paranoia, where someone doesn't know what's happening to them, they don't know what's going on around them, and you can't get out to find out any more than they can. That's the claustrophobia. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the first-person point of view with an occasional break into the third person? It's very common in thrillers. I did it once. I did it in Light Before Day because for reasons that you just pointed out, it was impossible to get all the information across without doing it. How do you feel about that? Is it sort of impure in terms of first person? Oh, I don't have any, I don't care about pure. I, just, I mean, I think every everything is how it works, you know? It's funny because by now we've all done a lot of writing events and tours and panels and everyone asks questions and the only legitimate answer, I mean, there's pointers you can give to beginners, but so much of it is if you can make it work, then you should do it. And I think you need to know the rules before you break them. I don't think that's something you, Chris, would have tried on your first novel mm -hmm. to go first and third. I mean, no. I've thought about it. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it, when you did it, it worked. A lot of writers have done it. Robert Crace has done that with, with the Elvis Cole books, that Elvis will be in first right. and move around with the others. And and there's there's a different – it's based on different needs for the story. But I think right. you, you need to know how it functions in a pure way before you start to deviate from it, I do think. Absolutely. And it's really, I would like to add, incredibly hard to write things in first person because of that limited factor. It is, it is so challenging to get to a place of – how do I reveal this to people in a way that – because sometimes it has to be something that your character doesn't actually understand right. that, the, that the reader has to know. So you have to reveal it to the reader in a way that your character can discover it without the character fully getting on getting onto it in the same way that, that the reader will. I, I My hat's off to you. I did it once and it was like, yeah, not doing that again. Right. Mm -hmm. Justin Simpson would like to know which type of character you like writing more. The one with nothing to lose or the one with the most to lose? Hmm. Interesting. Interestingly, it sometimes migrates from someone thinking they're one and turning into the other. Mm. I will say with the survivor, writing a character in Nate Overbay who was willing to kill himself in the first page gave a completely different vantage for his unpredictability. I mean, every circumstance, every interaction brought a different texture. And it was, it was, it, it turns, it could be really funny. There's term, there's, there's one scene where he goes in and somebody threateningly traces a knife over his throat and lowers it to his shoulder and he just steps right into it and breaks the skin because he doesn't care. I mean, so there's all these different things I could do with him being in a position that he wasn't fearing for his life, but I had to find other things that he feared to lose. And that, in some ways, is really the emotional arc in that story, is his realization and his movement back toward finding... The stakes. The stakes. And yeah. his family who's estranged and all those things when he thought he had nothing to lose that he was, in fact, wrong. But there is a fun flair to that, to writing someone who has nothing to lose. That's that's a really Very fun... Very freeing. It's really freeing. And, it, and it gives you... Fall. What we always look for is, is a different angle into a scene and a different point of view. And when you have somebody in that circumstance, every interaction... You know, there's one scene literally where his dentist calls, to, you know, to set up a cleaning for him in six months. And he's like, sorry, I'm not going to be here. I mean, every single interaction is different, whether it's menacing or funny or mundane. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, is it time for a word from one of our sponsors? Oh, my goodness. Christopher's watching the clock. <laughs> 
Well, our sponsors get very, very testy with us if we don't. And this is a really, I think, an important new film. It is. Uh, it's yeah, a very important new film. It's an action, an actioneer. So I think it's very relevant to what we're discussing in terms of characters and uh, all that. So now let's hear from our sponsor. In a time of war, in a faraway galaxy ruled by an amazingly complex and incomprehensible cosmology that will need at least six films to make itself clear, he has arrived. Our world is dying. Our people are dying. You, stranger, are our only hope for salvation. Uh, yeah. Why is that? I don't even know how I got here. He was a lone man in amazing shape, but wholly unqualified to do anything besides look incredibly good with windblown hair. Who the hell are you people? We are an amazingly good-looking, English-speaking alien race, and you will save us from extinction at the hands of an amazingly bad-looking alien race that wants our planet. Why do they want your planet? It's a shithole that looks suspiciously like New Mexico in some parts and Northern Africa in others. Our world is too complicated for you to understand so soon. Good. Can I go home? No, you must save us. On Earth, he was a gas station employee with a goals membership, a bad attitude, and a shrewish ex-wife who never would have walked out on someone as good-looking as him if this weren't a movie. But on this strange, desolate planet of amazingly attractive people in taffeta bathing suits, he has been chosen for no apparent reason to lead a revolution against an impressive species of ugly aliens, all of whom have British accents. Darling, I'm a strange being. I'll be late for Coranda, and it's Harkle's Day, so there's fresh cake. How did I get picked for the savior gig? I, I know nothing about this planet, or you people, or what the hell I'm doing here. Arthur, we're going to be late. Till next time, strange being. Wait, that doesn't answer my... Hero, you have been chosen to be the one to save us for one reason. Because you're hot. I just don't see how that qualifies me for this job. You're just like my father, who was killed in the first uprising against the ugly aliens with British accents. How? I'm not related to you, and I never met the guy. But he was hot, too. Here, watch this hopeful flashback. He is hot. In a universe filled with the self-important myths and prophecies of unimportant people, all you really need to shape the fate of galaxies and fulfill those prophecies is to be really, really hot. All right, let me get this straight. Even though the only things I know how to do are pump gas and make protein shakes, you want me to stay here on your shithole planet and learn how to fire this ridiculously complex laser gun and fly this hovercraft over thousands of miles of desert to save a bunch of grubby-looking orphan kids from a flesh-eating alien monster who sounds a lot like Angela Lansbury. And be my lover and rule as king. Lover? Ew, you're an alien. I'm an alien. Am I not beautiful? 
I think horses are beautiful still. Do you not love me? I love my dog, but, but not in that way, you know? What about destiny? What about speciation? I'm willing to overlook that without even so much as a mention because you're hot. This summer, take a journey to a faraway galaxy that is as superficial and obvious as the one you come from and join with a wholly unqualified hero with an amazing V-shaped back and a perfectly sculpted jaw as he battles a planet full of trite cliches with his shirt off. Why? Because he's hot. In a universe filled with the self-important myths and prophecies of unimportant people, all you really need to shape the fate of galaxies and fulfill those prophecies is to be really, really hot. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Some safety considerations have been omitted for the sake of editorial purposes. <laughs> We're back with dessert with Greg Hurwitz. We have a question from one of our Facebook faithful, which draws attention to two things we forgot to mention about you tonight. One is that you have a master's in Shakespearean tragedy. Wow. Yes, I needed I needed a highly practical degree to enter the job. I was going to say, I've loved it. Let me yeah, tell you, Wall Street was kicking down my whole door. whole section in the want ads. And that you are currently the man responsible for the DC comic series Batman the Dark Knight. Batman's in yes, the studio. Yes, with my artist David Finch. Excellent. So Sumiko Salson would like to know, she's joining us from the Bay Area this evening, did your educational, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pardon me. That's Maybe ironic. you'd had some educational. <laughs> Elocution. Did your educational background help you as a novelist and someone who has explored the inner workings of the mind of Batman? I always think that with educate, people like to quote degrees and they like to quote schooling when it comes to writing. And I think some of the best writing and writers come for me when I'm writing well, I'm writing from my gut. I'm not up in my head. And so it's less cerebral in that way for me because a lot of when it works, it's coming from instinct. And I think the thing that I can thank my educational background for is exposure to a whole variety of fields. Like I think some people come out and they just study writing or they just want to be a filmmaker their whole life. And I always want to say, well, what are you going to write about? What are you going to do? And so one of the things that was great educationally for me with, with the master's and undergrad was just studying a lot of different things. So it wasn't necessarily that it went straight into the writing, but the fact that I took classes in history and opera and architecture and all a, a wide array of things that I'm at least have a dilettante knowledge of a variety of things. Um, and so that's, I think that helps a lot. Um, yeah, you use everything, every yeah. resource that you have, it, it, it comes to bear and whatever. Sometimes even something that I've seen recently or read recently will begin to inform the scene or my thoughts in a moment when I'm writing. Yeah. I mean, and then, but there's a lot of spectacular writers who are self-educated or, or don't have a formal education, whether you can do that thing that makes prose work and come alive. Shakespeare, for instance. Yeah, is not dependent on having the right degree, you know? Mm -hmm. But I do think you have to be interested and interesting. You have to be interested in people in the world. You know, willing to find... An acquisitive mind. Yeah. And an ability to tell a good story. And as for Batman, I think, um, for me, a lot of what makes that so 
amazingly fun. It's, it's you know, it's you're playing in the best sandbox in the world with the best toys in the world. I mean, so writing Batman is is amazing. Delicious. And what's really fun with the new 52, which was DC's relaunch of that universe, is is that I have the opportunity to reinvent in full some of those great villains from the rogues gallery. So I did a mini series of the penguin and then I'm reinventing right now with David Finch, uh, doing the new 52 version of the scarecrow. Um, and next up with Ethan Van Skyver at New York comic con, we announced my, my artist for the next arc. I'm going to do the Mad Hatter. And so what's really fun is trying to hold all those pieces of these villains that everybody knows and loves. And you want to honor the tradition that came before, but also, also reinvent and update them. And that's the tight the tightrope act that you're doing when you write comics is you can't move it too far off the mark. Have you gotten any backlash for choices that you've made? It's been pretty good. I mean, comic fans are are the the most vocal. I and it's think. funny cuz we, you know, you know, we get there's a lot of anonymous online commentary about they're everything invested. we do. They're invested and they they know an enormous amount, right? You know. Well, Greg Hurwitz, we want to thank you for being our second guest on the Dinner Party Show and for, for being willing to trot into this brave new world with us as we figure out just what it is we're actually doing here. Um, we are going to be introducing a new segment this evening, Best Served Warm, which is our, I guess I'd describe it as our community enrichment series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be taking your temperature later to find out if you're more enriched after Absolutely. having been exposed to this uh, very highly informative segment. I believe a PSA is how, is how we would describe it. But um, anyway, thanks again, Greg. We had a Thank lot of questions. We had in. more questions for you on the Facebook page than we were able to put to you in the time that we have tonight. Because who, you know we have another show coming on right after. <laughs> right. So maybe you can comment to some of the people on yeah, our people Facebook can, page. And for people who are interested in Greg's work, you can go to the store page and click through and pick up a copy of at least Survivors and probably go from there to find... And they can follow you on Twitter at... Give us your Twitter handle. It's a highly innovative handle of at Greg Hurwitz. Okay. I'm also on uh, Facebook. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm findable or on my website. But thank you both for having me on. Thank you, Greg Hurwitz. And come back again soon. I will indeed. Absolutely. And now it's time for Best Served Warm. And now... In keeping with the Dinner Party Show's commitment to community enrichment, it's time for another in our ongoing series of public service announcements featuring the people who make the Dinner Party Show what it is. Best served warm. Hi, everyone. I'm Jordan Ampersand, and this is Best Served Warm. Are you not hot? It's okay. Other people are not hot, too. And there are lots of things not hot people can do to make themselves feel better about themselves. Like getting a job as a lawyer who's not on television or living on the East Coast. But just remember, don't be mean to hot people just because you're not one of them. And if you're out on a date with someone who's hot, don't make fun of them just because they got confused about how evolution really works. That's not cool. And it doesn't make you hot, too. It just makes you bitter and old. So remember, there are lots of things not hot people can do to contribute to the world. And being a smartass isn't one of them. I'm Jordan Ambersand, and this was Best Served Warm.
Well, I feel enriched. I got enrichment all over me after that. You know the party's over when Kesha wanders in in her trash bag dress with her scarecrow eye makeup. You know, I'm exhausted. That was quite a dinner party we had, and we put that together right after we did the last dinner party. I'm telling you, it was a full evening. Uh, you know, I last week I turned to you at the end of our show, and I said, So, Eric, any final thoughts? And you gave me a look like a person dressed as a deer in headlights. <laughs> so I'll ask you again this week. So, Eric... Any final thoughts? Well, uh, yes, Christopher. I've had all week to think about it now since you asked me that other question. <laughs> that's really, that's nice. That's really, no, I just, it's Thanksgiving week, and so, you know. Oh, wow. We didn't use any of these the whole show. I have to, I'm throwing them in under your final thought, which you apparently didn't want to make. <laughs> Well, I just think it's, you know, it's important for everybody to get out there and take an opportunity to be grateful for all of the blessings in your life and get it over with. So Absolutely. you can go back to complaining about stuff just like we will next week on, well, no, actually next week is going to be Thanksgiving leftovers. It is. But when we come back from the holidays, we'll have a lot of exciting guests. Fame prosecutor Marsha Clark, Edgar Award winning novelist Jan Burke, uh, gay icon Alec Mappa. The list goes on and on. Uh, Ronnie Kroll, the very handsome, openly gay supermodel contestant, will be here as well. We're just we're just going to keep having dinner parties until we get thrown out of this building. But tonight, the festivities have come to a close. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And thank you all for joining us. Thanks. I've been to a marvelous party.